Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who's ate a lot of late-night fast food and drank a lot of take-home pay. He is, of course, the captain. Well, I didn't know we got paid for this. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are drinking Apocalypse Cow by the hardworking people over at Three Floyds Brewery. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. You got to check out this complex double IPA, but rather than go into a lengthy description, I'd rather just like to thank all the good folks that have friended me on Untapped. So all the best beer drinkers are there. If you want to find me, of course, I'm at True Crime Garage. And a big shout out to John and Michelle from Staten Island for donating to the beer fund. Cheers, mates. And also a big thank you and shout out to Craig hailing from Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, and another cheers, mates, from Wendy over in East Brunswick, Melbourne, Australia. Cheers, mate. We also have Jacqueline in Stony Creek, Ontario. And last but not least, we have Victor, who is stationed overseas serving this great country. All right, so thank you to all the men and women that are protecting our freedoms and serving this great country. A big like your jib. And if you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you go to iTunes and write a five-star review. It means a lot to us. All right, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Lynn Harper was a 12-year-old girl who disappeared on June 9, 1959 from the RCAF station in Clinton, Ontario. Now, two days after her disappearance, Lynn's body was recovered on a farm. It was discovered that Lynn had been raped and strangled with her blouse. Now, on June 12th, we have 14-year-old Stephen Triscott. He's taken into custody 
because he's last reported to have seen Lynn Harper. He tells the police that he sees her getting into a car. They don't believe him. And then on June 13th, he is charged with her murder. Now, I kind of want to underline all of that. Just think about how fast things are happening here, right? So less than 48 hours after her body is found, we have a 14-year-old who was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. So a very fast investigation, maybe. <laughs> uh, no, Understatement. Or maybe no investigating at all is would be the question there. Mm-hmm. Um, on September 16th of that same year, Stephen Truscott, his trial began. And then on September 30th, the jury returned a verdict of guilty. Let's go through Stephen's accounts of the events one more time. Mm-hmm. He picked up Lynn on his bike at the school. They at, went at her request. Right. She asked for a ride. He said, "Sure, I'm going that way, anyways." They ride down the road. They pass the bush. That's mm-hmm. what we call it. Then they pass the bridge. Then he drops her off at the stop sign at State Route Eight, and then he heads back to the bridge. Turns around, sees her getting into a vehicle, uh, maybe a. Chevrolet, right? Yeah, and, a, and, a Chevy late model or 1959 Chevy, possibly a Bel Air, gray in color, a lot of chrome. Right, and something orange on the back. We mm-hmm. don't know if it was a license plate or not. And then he heads back to the base, and then he ends up babysitting that night um, within within an hour. Right. He, he is out of that area. So that's his story. Yeah. And he's sticking with it, even though... He is now charged. He is now in prison. He is now waiting to the death penalty, but he's going to be hung. That's that, that's a that's the worst death penalty, I think. Or your head being chopped off. I well, let's not get into that debate. I think that's a whole other show in itself. Um, but the thing here is, Captain. Not only do we have a very small, very short and fast investigation. We have what I would say is a very fast trial as well. He he's brought to trial on the 16th of September and he's gets a guilty verdict on the 30th of September. This was supposed to be a controversial trial. This was supposed to be a big deal because we have a 14 year old, a minor who was charged with first degree murder. And oh yeah, that's a death penalty case. This was supposed to be a big deal. I'm surprised that the, that the trial was so fast Um, Now, when the jury did return with the verdict of guilty, they did have a recommendation for mercy um, to the judge. The judge, however, sentenced True Scott to death uh, to hang, as you had said. I don't I don't think we need to look into this in in judge what kind of judge this is and whether he did the right thing or the wrong thing. I think here we have a situation where we have a certain type of crime was committed and there is a certain penalty for that type of crime. And so I think even though that there was a recommendation of mercy, um, that just being, he's a 14 year old boy and that's hard to sentence that person to death. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have a judge just putting into place what is supposed to happen in these type of trials. It would eventually be overturned and this would be commuted to a life sentence instead of the verdict to hang. Well, cause he was actually supposed to die pretty quickly. Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, here or and also this is again the 50s. So it was like, you know, within months they're going to, you know, uh, take out his sentence. 
but uh, that was quickly overturned. Yeah, we thought Texas executed people quickly. This was supposed to be very a very fast execution. Uh, thank God it was it was commuted to a life sentence. Um, there there would be another trial, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of this was there was an a, a uh, author that wrote a good book called The Trial of Stephen Truscott, and in this in this book, the author basically takes his side and says that he's wrongfully convicted. Mm-hmm. So this is going to lead to um, people looking at his case again. And we're going to learn some things that we weren't told in the first trial. And I think you're going to be able to see how we have a jury that comes out and, and comes back with a guilty verdict because there were certain things they didn't hear. Uh, the, the first, and I think which is the most important, is the time of death. And mm-hmm. we discussed that regarding the stomach contents of Lynn Harper. It was discussed that she had her last meal around 5.45 p.m. She goes missing, and the jury is told that her stomach should have emptied within two hours of that last meal. Well, it couldn't empty within two hours because she was killed before that time had elapsed. Yeah, put in the time period between 7.15 and 7.45 which makes Stephen Truscott look very guilty because he's admittedly with her during that approximate time. Mm-hmm. So he he's most likely our guy if you go off of that. Now, one thing that we end up learning here is that that same doctor had submitted several reports regarding this and regarding the time of death. And those earlier reports that he was submitting had a much bigger window of time. You know, He's stating she died sometime between 7, 7.45, 7.15, 7.45. That's a very precise amount of time. Mm-hmm. The earlier reports say that she died sometime between 7 and about 7 a.m. the following morning. So a 12-hour window. Yeah, well, because what happened with the trials, once they put such a you know exact time period, you know, mm-hmm. 7.15 to 7.45, the scientist community comes out and says, Hey, that that's not how this, uh, tests do, you know, and you can't have a, you can't pinpoint it that accurate. So he actually went back and did the test again, still put in the time of death between seven fifteen and seven forty five, mm-hmm. but also in, in uh, parentheses stating, or possibly within 12 hours of that. Right. So again, this is now you're, you, you have a big, Gap and and remember though we have eyewitness reports stating a odd vehicle in the bush later that night. Yes, way past eight o'clock. Yeah, so the theory is that Stephen attacked her, killed her, and left her in the bush, but then was able to return and be back with other people by eight p.m. No visible signs of injury on him, and we when we have these other reports, when we start to look into this. We have some some reports that would come out many years later regarding the insects and the th- things that take place on a body as it's decaying. Mm-hmm. There is there is a scientist stating that she firmly believes she says she gives it a ninety five percent ninety five percent chance of accuracy that Lynn Harper was killed after sundown and killed sometime before sun up. Uh, based on what she sees with these insects and their activity on the body. There is somebody else that states that she would have been killed before sundown. So I don't know that that gets us anywhere. 
Um, but we have several different reports pointing towards the possibility that she was killed at a later time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like the captain said, the big problem with that is, well, there was a vehicle spotted on the Lawson property. And this is a, a dark colored, uh, 52, uh, Ford convertible. They found tire tracks in that area as well. This wasn't investigated. This vehicle was not investigated. And I'll tell you why it wasn't reported to the police until after they had already zeroed in on Steven Triscott. Mm -hmm. By this point, they had already interrogated him for hours, probably had already charged him by the time they hear about this vehicle. We don't need that information because guess what? We've already got our guy. Our guy has no access to a vehicle. Right. So that that doesn't mean anything to our investigation. Well, a big problem with this investigation, it happened so quickly. You know, the charge happened so quickly. Then you have whatever evidence. Now we have one, you know, we have evidence coming in of we saw this vehicle. Well, we're not going to investigate that because that has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with our guy or our theory. So that's one piece of evidence. But I'm guessing normally in murder cases, there's hundreds of uh, leads so how many leads came in after the arrest and, and pushed aside, you know, pushed aside because we already got our guy. We're, we're building a trial here now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not working on an investigation anymore. We got our guy. And I think what we have here, captain, I think that we have an investigation where I think it quickly circled in on this 14 year old. And if he is your prime suspect, I think these investigators thought, you know what? It's only a matter of time before we get that confession. We, I believe they thought he was guilty. And I think they thought it's only a matter of time because he's a kid. He'll eventually confess. And then boom, we got our trial. We're all done with this thing. Mm -hmm. What other stuff was not, not worked on as part as part of this investigation. One thing that I found very strange was many years after the fact, their teacher came out and now keep in mind, this was a split level class. This teacher taught both of them, even the day of her disappearance. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very rare, I think, that you have a situation where somebody knows a victim and knows the person that's supposed to have committed the crime. And this teacher says he was never interviewed. The police asked him no questions at all. That seems seems a little hurried and a little strange to me. Yeah, but this is a typical case of an investigation having blinders on, creating a theory, and then trying to make that theory stick. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, you know, this is error. 101, right? This is the number one error that these investigators make. The first thing to do is, yeah, if you do have a theory, then let's prove that theory wrong. Right. And I think if they would have done that, they would have found that their theory was proven wrong pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you speculate as to what you think happened. Then you have to go find the evidence to back up that speculation and lead you to the correct person, to the correct suspect. Uh, here they circled in on the suspect first. Well, and the time frame is really difficult because if this crime happened today, it'd be pretty simple. Let's run DNA test mm-hmm. and we'll know the answer within days, right? And I kind of want to back up what we were talking about earlier regarding the stomach contents and the mm-hmm. reason why I believe that the earlier reports of what the doctor was saying is probably more accurate than the later report where he really zeroes in on that, that short 45 minutes saying, this is your time of death is that you can see that the doctor was kind of tailoring his report, his later report to what the investigators had learned during their short investigation. Mm -hmm. Because in the early reports, 
he states that the stomach contents may have contained meat. He doesn't say they did contain meat or they didn't contain meat. He says may have. In the later report, he says that the stomach contents contained turkey. Well, where did he get this information? This came from questioning her parents. What did she eat for her last meal? Oh, around 545 that night, she finished dinner. We had turkey for dinner. Right again. Boom. All of a sudden, turkey's in the report. Right. Yeah, this is... This is ridiculous. And not to mention that every eyewitness that goes along with your theory, there's one that contradicts it or several that contradict it. Mm -hmm. So my big thing here is they have evidence that she put up a fight, right? Right. And there's no marks on Steven. So therefore he didn't do it to me. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's, you know, all this other stuff doesn't matter to me. They've, you know, cause you know, Unless you're going to tell me that your theory is that Steven and somebody else attacked her, mm-hmm. then where's the marks on his body? Right. It doesn't make any sense. Well, ultimately, Steven Trescott, he would end up getting out of prison. He would end up serving a 10-year sentence, and then he would be placed on parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bit of a weird situation here where I guess the warden uh, at the prison at some point became a parole officer, and Steven Trescott went to live with the former warden, uh, his current parole officer, lived with him and his family. Um, so, Which I think shows you something about Stephen's character. Yeah. Um, you know, we have somebody that watched over him in prison feeling like it's safe enough to bring him around his his family. Yeah, and Stephen actually, you know, uh, 14, I think, to 18 was in one prison, and then he actually was moved. Yeah, he was transferred a couple times. That's correct. There was a lot of concern that, you know, we have a, I mean, he he went into prison at 14. Yeah. Like, you know, this could be bad for him. Some some people get in the system and they never can get out. Well, so let's, let's keep that in mind because they're not saying that he's innocent, but he's, he's not serving the sentence that he was supposed to serve if he was guilty of first degree murder, right? Can we agree on that? He's serves 10 years and then he's paroled. That, that seems like a big jump from a death sentence or a life sentence. So you had mentioned, you know, what other leads or possible suspects would have been, uh, ignored, let's say. And this is something that I found interesting because, you know, this was from the Ontario court of appeals many years later. These were arguments that were made before the Ontario Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. Um, so the defense maintained that once the Ontario police officers locked in their sights on Triscott back in June of 1959, that the investigation, like you and I had said, stopped. Indiffer- indifference took over and seemingly obvious leads were ignored, including previously undisclosed information pointing to other suspects. Now, unfortunately, in this report that we have here, these suspects are not named in the court documents because they have not been charged with anything. But these individuals include a convicted pedophile stationed at the RCAF base at Clinton at the time of Lynn Harper's death. Hmm. The OPP learned about him in 1997 after being contacted by a retired London, Ontario police detective who felt that this man was capable of murdering a child. The man had pled guilty to sexual offenses and possession of child pornography in the late 1980s. When the police searched his house in connection with those offenses, they found an eight-volume transcript of Truscott's hearing before the Supreme Court of Canada 
from 1966 to 1967. Mm, interesting. Also mentioned in this is an airman who had been stationed at Clinton prior to 1959. He was stationed at Alheimer at the time of the murder, but had a home in Seaforth, uh, which is close to the base, mm-hmm. which he visited frequently. Close to Seafifth, yeah. <laughs> uh, between Sea3rd and Seafifth, you're correct. Mm-hmm. He was identified later by the CBC. Uh, this is the Fifth Estate show. Uh, identified him as Sergeant Alexander... Smelly Pants. No, sorry. Uh, Sergeant Alexander Kalachuk. Mm. And I say... I was close. Yes, very close. We'll get to Kalachuk here in a minute because we have more information on him. Uh, Also mentioned in this report, we have a former salesman who drove a 1957 Chevy and apparently called at the Clinton base frequently. The man came to the police attention after he tried to break into a home of a retired OPP detective. This is Barry rule who shot him with a pellet gun and then began his own investigation in a report to the OPP rule concluded that the man could be a potential suspect in several murders, Mm -hmm. including Lynn Harper's Um, this case, the cases that he mentions have common characteristics, all the victims. Well, a lot of them are are listed as hitchhiking victims um, and their bodies or clothes were dumped in what, what were considered lovers lanes. Yeah. Well, I wonder where they, the clothes folded. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. We'll get, we'll get back to that too, because we have some information on the salesman as well. Also mentioned, we have a convicted rapist who lived in Seaforth at the time of the murder mm-hmm. and worked on the Clinton base as an electrician at least one day a week. The man who was convicted in 1948, he had spent three and a half years in prison and had been to the Harper home. This is very strange. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have, he's convicted. He's convicted rapist who had been to the Harper home before the murder why, to, to why repair. He well, he was there to rep- repair a clothes dryer. He was an electrician. Yeah, well, there there's a connection. You know, I, I believe a lot of times these people know, that, you know, know their attacker. I, I'm with you there. And again, if she's getting into a vehicle, not pulled in a vehicle, Remember, there was mm-hmm. no report of a struggle, but did she know that individual? Was it somebody she had seen before, somebody she knew and trusted? Yeah. She, like you said, w- seemed to have willingly got into the vehicle. Yeah, and if this sick piece of shit was in her house uh, fixing a dryer, you know, he probably would remember her name. Mm-hmm. Sees her dry- walking past, drives by, hey, hey. You need uh, a ride somewhere? Lynn, do you need a ride? Yeah. yeah. Want me to take you back to your house? Yeah. Pretty easy. Um, Also mentioned in here, we have a minister uh, who is an accused sexual offender. We got, we have to say accused. Um, He lived in a village just North of the Clinton base. Uh, He had been accused of sexual assault by his grown daughters uh, years later. Well, he's real sicko. But one claims that when he was, when she was six years old, she hid in her father's car and remained there when he took it out for a drive. At some point on this drive, he stopped on a gravel road and opened up the trunk. Moments later, she claims that she saw him carrying the limp body of a girl towards a grassy treed area where he spent about a half an hour uh, before returning to the car alone. Right now, but some of these leads and and stuff are coming out way after the investigation. Yeah. So, I mean, to be fair to the investigators, you're exactly right. And, and you know what, uh, you know, those are all very strange situations, but I've just come across a, 
maybe even a more strange one because I have in my notes here, um, read through the suspect descriptions and then ask the captain which ones jump off the page. Um, they, all of them? They all, maybe they could jump off the page and write into prison. For, well, look, I mean, you have to you have to like the suspect that actually worked at the school and worked at the family's house. That, mm-hmm. That's a big connection Well, w- worked at the base. And then there was well, one right, that worked right. at their house. Yes. Right. Th- because those are obvious connections. Mm-hmm. That that's you know that the attacker would have known the victim and but all these scenarios to me sound a lot better than steven yeah they do but the problem that i keep coming back to with this whole case is that it's very strange to me let's say that steven is completely innocent let's say that his story is correct that he dropped her off at the at county line or at the county road highway 8 and she was picked up by a vehicle it, it doesn't it seem weird to you captain that that whoever picked her up and then ultimately ended up doing this to her that she ends up back very close to where she's picked i mean extremely close to where she's picked up from Mm-hmm. With within a mile, within a half a mile, maybe even a quarter of a mile from where she was picked up from. Right. So are you saying that that's strange and that points to Steven? I'm saying that it's strange in, in the sense that it, it, it would, it would point me away from her getting into a car. I'll say that. Um, and it doesn't to me, the, well, the only reason because why all the eyewitnesses, all the eyewitnesses that saw them, right. Or didn't see them mm-hmm. or Steven, it comes back. You can't, overlook the, the the big biggest piece of evidence to me is that they know that she put up a fight and I don't know exactly what that evidence is, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing blood on her hands, uh, you know, think maybe broken fingernails from clawing at somebody. I'm not really for sure, but they know for a fact that her attacker would have marks on them and Steven did not. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's too small of a window. Um, he was doing a nice thing for somebody. You know, you need a ride. I'll take you. And chances are that Lynn, you know, being the younger girl, maybe she had a little bit of a crush on Stephen, and that's why she asked Stephen for a ride and not to walk with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And and this this older boy gives her a ride on the bike and drops her off, and several people see it. But again, no marks on this boy. Right. I'm I'm not saying Stephen. By posing this question, I'm not saying Stephen. What I'm saying, though, it seems very strange to me that she would have gotten to a car, abducted by the driver of that car, raped and killed and placed in a location that's almost the exact same location that she's picked up from. Well, I believe with, that. Within a very short amount of time. I, I'm thinking, I you know, going off the top of my head here, I, all the cases we've covered, all the cases we've read about that we see on the Internet how many can you think of where a child is abducted and then the body's found almost in the same location as the abduction? It just, it's gotta be close to zero, right? I mean, I, I I can't think, can you, can you think of any? No, just not, not off the top of my head, but look, you pick up an individual, you know, the motivation here is sexual, right? And, And I believe this happened, like I said, somewhere else. And then in the process of looking for a place to dump the body, you know, this person might not have known the area super well. Mm -hmm. 
and just drove around to find a spot. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, oh, here we go. I can pull off here. You know, and then they dumped the body. But to me, I'm like I'm saying, I'm just saying it's a percentage thing. I'm not saying it's impossible. Right, but they I'm not saying but, that it didn't happen. But what I am saying is out of all the cases that that we've reviewed and all the cases I've looked at over the years, I it's hard for me to think of that same situation taking place. Right, but what I'm also what I'm saying though is that the person the murderer, right? Did not, might not have known that they're dropping the body off so close to where they picked the person up at. Is what I'm saying. They would have, they would have no clue that they're returning to damn near the same place to, they, they, to just, drop off no, something what, they picked up. I'm saying there's a possibility they might not have known. It, okay, I'll give you is that. what I'm saying. I'll give you that. But you know, off the top of my head, the, there's the only a couple situations that I can think of where where this was even a possibility. And, you know, one would be the Delphi case that we covered, but there's a big question if those girls were even removed from that wooded area and then returned. Yeah, but look, I, I don't think that matters. I, I just think I find it strange. Oh, and here, maybe here's another situation. I think the Oakland County child killer, I think one of those victims was returned to roughly the same area, but they were held for days. Um, I, I'm just pointing out here that it's, it's strange to me. The, to to believe that she got into a vehicle, drove away somewhere for hours, and then was returned to the same location. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I get what you're saying. But I think we can agree that it does seem... It's an oddity. Mm, yeah, I guess. Anyways, there's a lot more to get to right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. 
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, You'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem. And it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers. Cheers, mates. Cheers. All right. So we have a suspect here in Lynn Harper's murder who stands out. And this is that Alexander Kalachuk. And mm-hmm. the reason why he stands out and the reason why we bring him up is he is somebody that a lot of people 
involved in this investigation or close to this investigation back in 1959 believed that he should have been somebody on their radar. He should have been somebody, he should have been a concern for them and a piece of this investigation. And it doesn't appear that he was. So let's go over who Kalachek is. He was born in 1923. Uh, he was uh, part of the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was a sergeant uh, who lived and worked in the area at the time of the murder. Now, Sergeant Kalachek was known to be a heavy drinker. Um, and from the stories I told or have been told, a uh, heavy drinker might be an understatement. Um, yeah, he's heavier than, than us. He's, he's times heavier. four. Uh, yeah. Well, he's basically, if you take what I drink and what you drink and times that by four there, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. So he's a heavy drinker with previous convictions for sexual offenses, some involving young girls. Mm-hmm. Now, like we said, he served in the air force during world war two. Um, but he, returned to civilian life in 1945 in 1950. Uh, he re-enrolled at the, in the RCAF and was originally posted at the station in Trenton, but soon afterwards he was transferred to the station in Clinton. Now we know this from our case, you know, this is close to our case here. He served as a supply technician until 1955, but in 1957, he was transferred to another station. Now, this is located about an hour away from Clinton. However, Kalachek made frequent trips back to Clinton, where Lynn's Harper, where Lynn Harper's father was the senior supply officer. Well, there's your you know, connection there. Yeah, good possible connection. But we also have this situation that takes place about three, week, three weeks before Lynn Harper's murder. Kalachek was arrested and charged by the Ontario police for attempting to lure three young girls into his car outside of St. Thomas, Ontario. Mm -hmm. The charge was dismissed shortly afterward. Um, But the judge gave Kalachek a warning regarding his behavior. Basically, the way this thing went down is he sees three girls walking on the side of the street. He pulls up to them, opens up the car door. He's trying to lure one, if not two or three of them into his car. Um, There's different reports on what he was using as a ruse. One is saying, you know, uh, possibly new clothes or new underwear. Um, yeah. When they said the new underwear, I thought, yeah, not, oh, yes. that seems like a strange thing to offer somebody to get hey, in a car. You want some new underwear? Yeah. Like anytime you hear that run for your life. Well, I guess there's, Hey, le- come in the garage. You want some new underwear? Nah, I guess there's lack of sufficient evidence because like we said, the charge is eventually dismissed, but the judge gives him a stern warning. The warning uh, goes something like this. Hey, I know what you're up to. I know that you were what you were trying to trick those little girls into your car. We're going to be watching you kind of thing. That's the kind of warning he got. Yeah. Well, they should have said, hey, look. With this underwear stuff, right? No more. No more. You don't even look at little girls. And if you do, no new underwear for you for the rest of your life or we're going to hang you, you sick son of a bitch. Well, the, here's a reason why Kalachek should have been on their radar for, for reasons already stated, but more importantly for this one, uh, in the early part of June in 1959, we have Kalachek's probation officer advises the Air Force officials of another incident of indecent exposure involving Kalachek in the town of Seaforth, not far from 
the Clinton base. Mm-hmm. Now, on July 2nd, just three weeks after the murder of Lynn Harper, Kalachuk was hospitalized due to overwhelming anxiety, tension, depression, and guilt, um, according to the RCAF documents. But this is after the charges are dropped, right? Right. But he, but he's he's experiencing this overwhelming exi- anxiety, well, this my, tension, depression, and mm-hmm. guilt three weeks after the murder of Lynn Harper. Right. That's my point, is that a lot of people would assume... Well, he was charged with this, but they dropped the charges. So he shouldn't have anxiety over that. Oh, I see what, what you're I'm saying. Stating. Yeah, that, that's no longer on his mind. Right. The other thing that I think to me is like bingo, bango, boingo, is that this idiot sold his car. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think if you look at um, everybody that heard this story, Lynn Harper's story, they also heard about Steven's story and Steven's accounts and Steven claiming that he saw a car and that he saw an orange thing on the car. Mm -hmm. And I think that spooked him and that's why he got rid of the car. I also believe, like I said, that the crime took place, at least the sexual crime took place somewhere else. And I believe that was probably the car. Do we have a rough description of that car that he sold? Uh, I actually could not find that. Okay. But it, but it is mentioned that he sold his car after her death. Right. Okay. That's that's very interesting in itself. Now, Kalachuk drank himself to death in 1975. Uh, his final days were spent in a psychiatric hospital in Ontario. Yeah, it just seems like this whole case, you know, it was law enforcement, investigators putting their blinders on, going after Stephen, not following leads, you know, I, I don't know if it was ever reported if uh, Kalachek was uh, investigated at all. Well, you're right. It, it's never been confirmed that the Ontario police ever investigated him regarding the murder of Lynn Harper. Now, I want to bring up somebody. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit, Captain. We'll bring up somebody. His name is Barry Rule. Uh, he's a retired OPP sergeant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that a traveling salesman uh, should be a suspect in a string of unsolved murders. He also believes that he knows the identity of the person who killed Lynn Harper in June of 1959. Rule is the author of a book called A Viable Suspect. Rule said he first met who he believes is Lynn Harper's murderer, um, who he calls Larry Talbot, uh, although that's not the suspect's real name. Mm. Uh, Talbot's not, you know... He's not been convicted of any of these things. A lot of fictitious names in true crime. He's got he's got family members out there, and we have an author who's accusing him of multiple murders, so choosing to use a different name. Um, he says that he met Talbot during a robbery, um, but it's a bit more complicated than that. It's it's reported as a robbery. I've heard uh, Barry Roll's story on this of how this robbery went down and sounds like a good recommended reading. uh, Yeah. I want to take you through this, this story a little bit. So Barry rule, uh, his, his now wife, uh, her name is Pat. Mm -hmm. Um, at this time they weren't lovely name. They weren't living together. Um, Pat had a cottage and Barry had a place elsewhere, but anyway, one night they have dinner, they have drinks and Barry decides to stay over. That's the night that the break-in happens. He's sleeping. He hears a loud, disturbing noise. He gets up out of bed, only to find a masked man with a gun inside this cottage. 
Okay. Now, so Barry exited the bedroom and, and confronted this masked man in another mm. room. Well, the first thing that the guy wearing the mask says to Barry, where's the bride or bring out the bride, something, mm. something of that nature. So he says, you know, let's leave her out of this, you know, go ahead. You can, I can give you my wallet, whatever. Let's leave her out of this. He says, no, bring her out here. He's got a gun. You got to do what he's saying. So he calls for Pat. Pat comes out of the bedroom. Mm -hmm. He tells the burglar, tells Pat to lift up her nightgown, expose Mm -hmm. herself. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Barry pleads with this guy. Let's again, let's not get her involved in this. He insists. So she lifts up the nightgown. Eventually what ends up taking place is that he, that Barry and Pat are robbed. He takes some money from them. Mm -hmm. And at some point, Barry, he's a, he's a, he's a police officer. At some point he must have realized that this burglar does not have a real gun. He has a pellet gun. So he starts calling the burglars, the the bluff here because, because this guy's threatening them. And he's asking them to do things that they don't want to do. I mean, pellet guns hurt, but I mean, you can take one. You can take a couple. So at some point, Barry recognizes this to be a pellet gun, and he starts to challenge the man that's broken into the home. And he says, you know what? I don't think you're going to shoot us. I don't think you're going to shoot us at all. I like this guy. I like the cut of his jib. That's right. Nice jib. The thing here is now the masked man, he gets scared of Barry, and he flees the house. Well, Barry is a police officer. He, he sets out on chase and he's chasing after this dude while he's chasing the dude. The dude turns around and shoots Barry in the chest with the pellet gun. Mm -hmm. Barry fights through this. He tackles this man and let me put it. How can I put this politely? Does he say to him now lift up your skirt for me, boy? (laughs) No, to put it politely, he beats the crap out of the guy. All right. Very good. Right. I don't think this guy was out to rob the place. And I tell you why. And Barry doesn't either because of things that they found on this guy after he's arrested. Okay. He had four sets of shoelaces in his pockets. Mm. Okay. Inside the guy's car, they found, they found his car parked nearby. He had left the keys on the wheel and inside the car were his shoes and his underwear. So this burglar had was wearing gloves and a mask, mm-hmm. carrying a flashlight, a gun. He had a knife on him. He had four sets of shoelaces. Mm-hmm. He had removed his shoes so he could be quiet and also probably not to leave footprints. Mm-hmm. And he had removed his underwear as well, possibly for some kind of fast situation if you need to be fast with your pants. Mm-hmm. I think the, I, like Barry think that this man was there to to rape pat Mm -hmm. to tie her up and who knows possibly kill her Mm -hmm. but because because this guy is somewhat of a sophisticated criminal when caught in the act he's able to turn it into a burglary i was just there to rob you guys anyway this is how this guy this larry tolbert guy becomes known to barry rule yeah the problem i have with this and and feel free to give me the evidence to say that I'm wrong, but he's breaking in to possibly rape a older lady. Well, they weren't old at the time. They were, they were in their early twenties. Right. 
Uh, but in the fifties, that's a older lady. Okay. Right. Well, it's older than our victim that we're talking about, Len Harper. Correct? Right. That's what I'm saying. So I'm just saying that it doesn't. That part doesn't fit for me. Well, Barry Rule believes this Larry Talbert is guilty of multiple, or well, let's say this to put it more accurately. He says he should be a a lead suspect in several unsolved murders that took place over a span of years in this area. Now, one of them, one of these such cases was the murder of a Oakville woman. Um, this is Pauline Dudley. Um, she was age 17. Her body was found and located by a farmer working in his fields. Um, this was in Oakville in August of 1973. She was 17 years old. Um, the thing here is the car that Talbert owned at the time was spotted not far from where Dudley's body was found. And when police located him, they searched his car. Well, they found blood on the, on the headrest and hair on the floor, along with other items in the trunk. Well, here's what they found in the trunk. They found a wooden dildo, cream, a knife, two flashlights, brown sheets, a short sleeve shirt, and inside the pockets of the short sleeve shirt were surgical gloves. They bring him in because of these strange items that they find in his vehicle that spotted near the body Mm -hmm. of this unsolved murder. And when they bring him in, he fails several polygraph tests. Long story short, Talbert was never charged for Pauline Dudley's murder. It was one of those situations, Captain, that we've talked about plenty of times on this show, where we have a group of police and we have a group of detectives who say, we know who did this. We're, we're absolutely convinced we know who did this. We got nothing on the guy. We got no evidence. So yeah, we have no evidence and we're not going to make it up. (laughs) Thank you. That's what they're basically saying. We know that they did it. How does this, we can't prove it. And we do. And we're refusing to to make up to manufacture manufacture evidence. Yeah. Well, how does this bring us back to, the murder of young Lynn Harper. Well, I think part of that, you brought up something interesting was that, you know, Lynn Harper was a young victim, 12 years old. I think this Pauline Dudley thing shows that, that this person is, might be capable of committing murder against a younger mm-hmm. girl. Uh, I know 17 is different than 12. I mm-hmm. get it. Um, but here's the big thing. Um, Barry rule lists a number of reasons, a number of connections but the one that, that stands out the most is including the similarity between Colbert, his Talbert's car at the time and the one that Stephen Truscott said he saw. Now, Truscott said that he saw a 1959 Chevy, possibly Bel Air, on the evening that Lynn Harper went missing. And we have Talbert, who has a 1957 Chevy. Mm-hmm. So we have a similar vehicle. There's one problem here, though. Uh, the vehicle that Talbert owned at the time was a turquoise blue. Now, mm. according to Barry rule, we have a situation where she probably disappeared. If she got into that car, she disappeared around seven 30, sunset was at nine Oh six that night. Um, so Barry would tell us that there's a chance that with that sun and at that angle and the distance that we have Steven Trescott from the car, that he may have thought he was seeing a gray car. Right. One thing that they share the similarity of 
is they both have a lot of chrome on them. He did say he saw a lot of chrome. Now, we have this Larry Talbert. Why would he be in the area? He's a traveling salesman. What does he sell? Mm, hopes and dreams. No. I don't no. I, I don't know what he, he sells murder. I don't know what he sold, but I do know this that we have Barry Rule, uh the retired OPP sergeant. Well, he, he likes he likes Talbert for several murders. He believes he should be investigated and looked at in several cases. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these were ones that he was able to go back in time and he was able to confirm that Talbert would have been in the area or near that area when a murder was committed. Well, maybe he sold shoelaces and underwear. I don't, I don't think he was a shoelace salesman Hmm. or maybe wooden dildos, but you know, Barry roll points out something interesting here. You know, what better job for a uh, serial killer to have than a traveling salesman? You know, you you could commit a murder on Tuesday in one town, and you could be hours and hours away by Wednesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, and if nobody saw you, if nobody spotted you, maybe they don't have things to connect you to the crime. It, I'm going to go with this, Captain. It's, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's a leap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's a leap. But he should have been investigated. But we could just make the argument that the case should have been investigated period. Yeah. And I mean, Barry rule list several other cases that he would like to see this, uh, Larry Talbert, um, uh, investigated for. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, because like I said, it's a bit of a leap and we're here to discuss the Lynn Harper case, but it's certainly an interesting leap and one that I'm willing to take. I, hopefully have to pick up his book at some point. I did not get a chance to read the book itself, but I did see um, an interesting presentation that he did regarding his suspect. All right. Well, let's get back to Lynn Harper's case. And and so what are our final conclusions on this Lynn Harper case? Cause we had a, you know, a kid uh, sentence then released. Now he's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like even after they let him out, they didn't really investigate this case. No, it's, it's, it's similar to the West Memphis three case where you have somebody that ends up not serving the appropriate sentence Mm -hmm. for the crime that they're convicted of and later they're released. And then you just say, uh, yeah, uh, we can't, we're not really going to go back and investigate this, even though now it looks like we never found the guilty party. Yeah. It's sad too, because Uh, you know, in this case, it's even harder though, because the amount of time that's passed, uh, the, the, um, primitive investigative tools that we would have been using back in 1959. Well, they actually uh, went to test Steven so they could get answers, Mm -hmm. uh, DNA test. But when they went back through the DNA evidence that they collected at the time, it was all damaged. Yeah. Uh, So they couldn't actually do the test and he was willing to take the test. Yeah. I think that's, I I think again, shows another sign of his character. That's definitely a check mark on the Steven Truscott side. Uh, uh, that he did not commit this murder. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are my thoughts and opinions? It's tough for me, Captain, because l- like I said, it's it's that one hour of time that there seems to be so many questions and differing um, opinions as to what happened by eyewitnesses during that one hour of time. It's very tough. It's very confusing. I do like that we have um, in Stephen Trescott's favor. I like that he spotted a vehicle. um, And then later we have Barry rule coming out saying, Hey, I have a suspect that has a similar vehicle. Right. I like that 
in his favor. What I don't like is that you give me a license plate number and that's not a legit number. It doesn't work. Yeah, I think that whole part it, of the story is fictitious. I don't think he saw a license plate. I think no. he might have. I'm hoping that he's innocent because I, I, I like to, and I know it does happen, but I don't want to believe that this kid was killed by another kid. No. Um, I think maybe he was scared into giving that license plate number. The problem that I have, too, with the license plate is me personally, if I see a situation go down, to the point where I'm going to make a mental note, not only of the description of the vehicle, but a mental note of the license plate number, Mm -hmm. then guess what? It's not going to take me till police come to me to ask me what happened to Lynn Harper. I'm going to be going to other people and saying, look, this could be nothing, but I was with Lynn Harper. She's only 12 and I saw her get into this car and here's the license plate number. I think something weird happened. All right. I mean, to, to take the, special uh, note, I drive past a thousand cars every day. I never, I never make note of the license plate number. Uh, right. But get, again, this case is all about the small little things that don't really matter mm-hmm. until a tragic event actually happens. And to me, this is very much like a butterfly effect case. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Steven wasn't so nice to give her a ride, then maybe she wouldn't have been on state route eight at the time that there was a uh, uh, somebody traveling in that area to pick her up. Right. That could have done this crime. Um, if somebody saw him, if the DNA evidence um, didn't get destroyed, there's all these little tiny things that if they happened, we would have had an answer. The, and then the big butterfly effect in this case that we haven't really talked about much, but you, you have a country that sentenced a boy that's 14 years old for a crime that I believe he didn't commit. He sent him to be hung within months of being tried mm-hmm. when you didn't even spend months on the investigation. And this was such a black eye on um, the Canadian justice system that they got rid of the death penalty altogether. Right. Uh, and uh, Stephen was one of the main reasons for that. It was a good wake up call for them. Yeah, so this case to me is all these little, you know, butterfly effects. If Stephen didn't, or what if, uh, you know, heck, what if Stephen and Lynn actually went into the bush to make out for a little bit? Maybe this doesn't happen. There's all these little tiny things that maybe could have stopped this tragic event. But it's a really fascinating story. This is mm-hmm. one like, you know, as we're researching it, like the f- the first day of researching it, I, I really got into it and trying to break down all the different points of the eyewitness uh, testifying and all that stuff. And what's really interesting too is, you know, Stephen went by a different name for so many years. Mm-hmm. Now him and his wife actually have become experts on this case and they can break down all the testimony, all the eyewitness accounts that contradict what the investigators have. And again, rule number one, don't create your own theory. And if you do create your own theory, spend as much as you much time trying to prove it or trying to disprove it as you do trying to prove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, we talk about all these tiny little moments for me too. One thing that I come back to that makes me believe Steven is innocent and underlines that for me is what, what exactly were Lynn Harper's intentions that evening that we don't know. We've heard stories that she wanted to go see the ponies or that she wanted to ride up to highway eight. 
for some reason she if she wants to see the pony she doesn't accept the ride all the way there what was that argument about that night was she planning to walk away or run away from home and got picked up by the wrong person and that's why she wanted steven to drop her off rather than take her all the way to the farmhouse you know if if we knew her actual intentions i think that would give us a better direction better sense of direction as to steven's intentions and I maybe, and I'm I'm with you, Captain. I think there we got a couple people that see him on the bridge. We got a couple people that see them cross the bridge. That lines up with Stephen's story. That makes that that makes that very precise, small little time window even smaller. All right. So, do we have a recommended reading for this week? Yes, this week we are recommending a question of evidence, the casebook of great forensic controversies by Colin Evans. Um, scientific sleuthing and slip-ups in investigations of 15 famous cases ranging from the suspicious death of Napoleon to the murder cases of Dr. Sam the Fugitive Shepherd and O.J. Simpson. A question of evidence takes readers inside some of the most vexing forensic controversies of all time. Mm-hmm. In each case, Colin Evans lays out the conflicting medical and scientific evidence, much like we saw in the Lynn Harper case and Stephen Trescott case today. All right. Thank you to you, Captain. Thank you to everybody out there. And remember, we you don't have much time. We have a pre-order of the Douche Canoe shirts. So you want to go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the store page, and, and get your Douche Canoe shirt. I don't want somebody saying six months from now, oh, I wish I would have got one. <laughs> like, too late. I'm not, you know, too late. Yep. All right. That's enough for this week. Thank you to everybody out there. We will see you back in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and please, pretty, pretty, please don't litter. Or we'll kill you. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.